Welcome. Here at Waterstone, we invite you to find your story within God's bigger story. We are a church that lives for something bigger than ourselves and is passionate to proclaim and demonstrate the way of Jesus. This fall, we are opening up the letter of 1 John. We believe it is a timely book in the life of the church. John is writing to a church that is divided over theological differences and confusion about how to follow Jesus in the midst of division. John's answer is love. God's love for us is immeasurable, and so our love for one another should be as well. It's a call to unity and care for one another in the midst of division. We're glad that you've joined us for this series. If you are interested in attending in person, our weekend services happen every week on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Um, I just want to go ahead and, and jump straight in because we have a lot to cover today, a lot to unpack um, and the first thing that needs to be said, is, as Tim just read, is, is darkness is dangerous. Darkness is, there's something about darkness that it kind of makes our imaginations run away uh, from us. There's something about darkness that, that hides things and keeps things um, hidden. And when I think of the dangers of darkness, I can't help but think of the last two years of my life. And the reason being is two years ago, I became a parent. And no one told me when I became a parent how many nights I would spend in darkness stumbling to the bed of my child who's crying out in the night. I mean, the number of times that I've been woken up at 1 or 2 a.m. because she needs water, or she needs a diaper change, or she's scared and had a bad dream. And here's the thing. It's not just that I've never really been afraid of the dark, and I wouldn't actually say I'm afraid of the dark now, but it's what hides in the darkness. It's the toys. It's those toys that hide in the darkness. And the number of toys that I've stepped on in the darkness, stumbling in the darkness to try to get to my daughter who's crying out, she needs me, and I step on Elmo over and over and over again. And here's the thing. I actually, I'm a little frustrated with, with, with some of you, if I'm honest, because some of you have been parents for a very long time, and you knew this. You knew it. You knew that this is something that happens, and you didn't warn us. You didn't tell us. And so if you are about to be a parent, or if you are a newer parent, I'm just here to warn you that you've got to watch out for the toys in the darkness. My daughter has this little Elmo, and baby, I love you if you're listening. Daddy loves you and loves Elmo, and there's nothing wrong with Elmo. But it's this little tiny toy Elmo. It's plastic, and it's like a hard plastic. It's like one of those toys you get from like a McDonald's meal. It's just like, it might be metal inside. I don't know. It might be metal. But I swear this toy is possessed. And I, I don't say that lightly, but the number of times I've moved this toy out of the way to make sure that I don't step on it. I've seen it on the floor, I put my daughter in bed, I'm like, I'm gonna move that to make sure I don't step on it. Only to step on it seven hours later, like I don't know what is wrong with this toy. And sometimes if I'm honest with you, and again, baby, daddy loves you, but tickle me Elmo becomes kick me Elmo in the middle of the night when you're just a little frustrated about stepping on these toys over and over and over again. Now here's the thing, some of you who are wiser than me and smarter than me are like, why don't you just use a light? Why don't you just shine a little flashlight and make sure you don't step? That's a great idea, I don't know. It's two in the morning and I'm not thinking about it, but we know that light is the antidote to darkness. We know that the dangers in the darkness can be revealed by light, that we need light to expose the darkness. Things that seem dangerous in the dark suddenly become almost laughable in the power of light. And yet, 
There are times, if we are honest with ourselves, that the light can be just as scary as the darkness. You see, John says that God is light, pure, unfiltered light, intense light, holy, glorious, perfect light. And if we're honest with ourselves, we often feel more comfortable in the darkness. And there are things about ourselves that that we are afraid to expose to the light. Then when we think of of bringing our full self before God and, and opening ourselves to him, we're afraid of what that might result in because we know God is light and we are darkness. What's fascinating is John starts this this kind of teaching on the character of God. He begins with this idea that God is light. And he says that if we want to be in relationship with God, then we have to walk in the light. Because there's no darkness at all in God. And so any darkness within us has to be exposed, has to be revealed, has to be brought before the light of God. If, If we want any sort of fellowship or relationship with him. We cannot remain in darkness, and that terrifies us. And John has a a very simple answer of how we can walk with God in the light. It's very simple, and yet it's incredibly difficult for us to do. He, He just has two things for us. He says, if we want to walk in the light as God is in the light, if we want fellowship with God, if we want relationship with God, then we simply have to confess our sins and obey his commands. It's that first one that begins to hang us up because the idea of confessing our sins, of bringing our sins before a God who is perfect light and exposing ourselves, the deepest, darkest parts of ourselves that we don't let anyone see is terrifying. And yet John says to be in fellowship with God, we have to reveal the darkness and expose it to the light. And the challenge with this is that as John says this, as he begins talking about this idea that we're supposed to to be honest about our sin and confess our sin, is that we have a a misunderstanding or a, a relationship with sin that's a little confused. And so he says at the beginning of this passage in 1 John 1, 8, he says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his words are not in us. See, John is saying that we have this relationship with sin where we don't actually believe we have a problem with sin. That that many of us live our lives claiming that we don't have any issue with sin. And he's actually writing to a first century audience where there was this growing movement of people that were saying sin isn't actually an issue. They were dividing and separating and divorcing spirituality from morality. And so spirituality was just this exercise of getting to know God and and finding knowledge about God and becoming enlightened, but it really didn't have any implications for morality or how we live or how we treat people. And it's not that different for many of us today. Inside the church and outside of the church, we have this idea that that spirituality is just some sort of searching for the truth, some sort of encounter with the divine, and that if we we can have some sort of experience, whether that's through meditation or spiritual pilgrimage, then we can encounter the divine and we'll experience God. 
What John is saying is that when you start to separate the conversation from morality, you actually have a barrier into relationship with God. We're lying to ourselves if we don't think sin is a reality in our world. And so we have to be honest about that reality. But I I think, again, that's where there's some misunderstanding and some confusion. Because when we think of sin, we think of of simply the bad things that we do. So it's like, oh, I shouldn't have said that word to that person when I was driving, right? Or I shouldn't have have kind of like told that little fib to my boss about why I took off. I didn't really actually need a COVID test. I was just tired that morning, right? Like it's the the little wrongdoings. And, And the problem is, is when you define sin as just the little things that we do wrong is no one really agrees on what's wrong or right. And, and all of us can justify all the little things that we do wrong. It's not, not, not really that bad. I wouldn't say it's evil. It was just a little thing that I did and maybe I shouldn't have, but it's okay. It didn't hurt anybody, so there's no problem. And, and what we've done is define morality by, by whether or not it hurts another person based on what we do. And so wrongdoing isn't actually about what's right or wrong. It's about implications. And John is trying to scale the conversation back and he's saying, no, we have a misunderstanding of what sin is. And he, it's funny because he uses sin in kind of two terms. And he says, sin is not really a, a, something we do that's wrong. It's a captivity that we are under. It is a power and a dominion that has enslaved us. That when we think of sin, it's not just like little misdeeds or a list of things that we do right or wrong. He's saying that it is actually something that is fundamentally flawed about the way the world is. What is sin? It is a captivity to a power. And this power is hellbent on destruction and death and the antithesis to the ways of God. And we are enslaved to it. You know, growing up, I was always told, I grew up in the Bible Belt, in in a small church, and I was always told that that I was inherently evil because of the sin and the things that I do that are wrong. And as you grow up and you begin to wrestle with morality and what actually is right or wrong, you begin to see that there's actually kind of a dissonance with that idea that people are inherently evil. In fact, many of us are are capable of, of very good things. And that's because fundamentally we were created in the image of God. See, there's this misconception about sin that sin says you are evil through and through. And some of you, as I say that that might not be true, that's only partially true, you begin to feel uncomfortable. But the deeper truth of scripture is that God created us in his image. That inherently we were designed good. That when God created us, he said it was good. That as bearers of his image, we live out and are capable of reflecting his love, his justice, his mercy, his goodness. And yet, we're fallen. And so we have this external power that has claimed dominion over us, that we are enslaved to, that we are in shackles to, that keeps us from living out the design God has placed on us. You see, when we talk about sin, we have to recognize that it is an external power that has enslaved us and captured us that makes it a struggle to reflect the goodness and love and mercy of God. It's kind of like an infectious disease that when we were created, we were made healthy and whole. And then we we acquired a disease that has afflicted us and tormented us and caused unhealth to flourish. 
And John says that is what we have to confess to God, not just all the little things that we do wrong, but that we are helplessly enslaved to a power and an entity that is hell-bent on the things that are not of God. And so we confess that, that, that we are captive to this sin. But then there's a second way that, that the Bible talks about sin and that John is talking about sin. It's the one that we're all familiar with. It's the, the wrong things that we're doing. But it's important to know that it's not just things we do wrong. Those things that we would claim as, as sins, of things that we do, of actions we take, they're actions of complicity. That we're not just some innocent victim of sin and under the power of sin, but that we have actually settled in the dominion and power of sin, feel comfortable in that space, live out of that space in rebellion to God. But when we talk about the actions of sin, we're not talking about the disease itself. We're talking about the symptoms, the consequences, not the cause. And I think it's an important distinction because so many of us walk around with this weight of sin, this burden of sin that we can't do the right thing and, we can't, and it's not about whether or not you're doing the right thing. It's about the reality that we are enslaved to something that is deeply broken and against the will of God. You know, growing up again in the Bible Belt, I was often told that, that sin is defined as missing the mark. And so they would use it in kind of archery terms and that you would have a bow and arrow and you would try to shoot the arrow, but, but because we're sinful, we always miss the mark. We always shoot in the wrong direction and we're always aiming for the wrong thing. And, and there's truth in that, but it's more complicated than that. And, and that we sin, we miss the mark, not just because we're incapable of hitting the bullseye, but because we're shackled by sin. We are in need of liberation. It's not just that we need to do better things or, or not do bad things. It's that we need freedom. And that is what John says is available to us when we are honest about the reality of sin in our lives. That's what he says is available to us when we confess that we are sinful. And so John says that if we want to walk in the light, if we want to be in relationship with Jesus, if we want to be in relationship and fellowship with God, it means bringing our sin to light, to admit that we are under the power of sin. And I think the problem for many of us is that we don't take that that seriously. When we think, I mean, it's uncomfortable to talk about sin. It's uncomfortable to be honest about the things that are broken with us, the weaknesses that we have, the ways that we are, the darkest parts of ourselves that we don't want people to see. And here's a, a question of application for you to, to think about your relationship with sin and if you actually take it as seriously as John says we need to. When you think of your sin, what do you think is more damaging to yourself? The uncovering of your sin or the sin itself? You see, many of us live in a space where we're so afraid to reveal our sin to other people and to God because we think that that will be too damaging for us. It'll be damaging to our reputations. It'll be damaging to our relationships. And so we hang on to it. We hold on to it because we think that it would be better to just suffer in silence than to let someone else know about the things that are wrong with us. What John is saying is that the sin itself is deeply damaging to our souls and that we need to bring it to light. If we take sin seriously, we will expose it to the light of God. And I think that is the part where we begin to wonder and question. 
Because if we're honest, confessing our sins to God, it, it feels like a gamble of grace. I mean, confessing our sins even to another person feels like a gamble of grace. We don't know how they'll respond. We don't know what their reaction will be. Will they actually forgive us? Will they allow the relationship to continue and move forward? Or, or will they walk away? It's exposing our sins and our wrongdoing to the light. It, it, it's a fearful, it's a risky endeavor because we don't know how people will react. It's a gamble of grace. We know that trust is broken. We know that the relationship is damaged. And so we would rather just hang on to our sin. And yet John says that when we confess our sins to God, there is no gamble of grace. There's no gamble of grace. This is what he says in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us, not might forgive us, not maybe forgive us, will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now in this little verse, there is so much rich theology and so much packed into just this one statement. I wish we could just spend all morning on it. We have to move through it fairly quickly, but there are several things going on in this passage, in this verse that John is trying to get us to understand about the heart and character of God. And so I want to key in on just a couple of those words to help us unpack and understand what John is saying about the reality of what happens when we confess. Because the truth is profound and deep and should bring freedom to each and every one of us. And so he says here that, that God is faithful, that when we confess our sins, God is faithful. And this is an important thing for us to understand because I think many of us have this, this idea of God that he's a reluctant savior. That, that God can't wait to punish us for our sin and that, that he's wrathful and vengeful. And we look at the God of the Old Testament and we see these stories about how he deals with sin and we think God just can't wait to smite us. And then something happens where Jesus comes along and Jesus isn't as angry. He's a lot more happy and he's loving. And so he changes God's mind about ourselves. I've said it before, but we have this image of God that, that God is, is kind of like a bipolar God and Jesus is God after he's seen a really good therapist. And then he's, he's just kind of worked all, out all his issues. And we have this idea that, that the heart of God and the heart of Jesus are divided. But what John is saying is that God is faithful to forgive, faithful to redeem. That his heart has always been unwaveringly for us. That God's heart for each and every person in this room has been bound and determined to bring salvation and redemption to your life. Not that there are no consequences for sin, but that God's heart, his posture towards sinners and towards those who are in rebellion, those who are living under the power of sin, his posture towards us is one that desires our redemption and our salvation. And it has been that way from the very beginning. As I was talking to someone last night after service, I was reminded that, uh, of the story of the Garden of Eden, the first rebellion against God. And what does God do? He shows up in mercy and grace and clothes them in their shame and their sin. From the very beginning, God has been for us. God has been for us. And not only has he been for us and faithful to see redemption come to pass, but, but John also says that God is just. 
It's a fascinating word that's used actually multiple times in this passage, but it's a, it's a word that doesn't just mean justice. It also means righteousness. And John is saying there's this relationship between God's righteousness and God's justice, that the way God deals with us in our sin, the forgiveness that he offers, the purification that he offers is just and good and right, which is baffling. In fact, in that verse where it says that God uh, cleanses us from all unrighteousness, if we have that, uh, Tara, can we put that back up? It's just one nine. Um, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What he's saying is he is faithful and righteous and will purify us from all unrighteousness. So he's drawing a dichotomy between our character and God's character. God is righteous, we are unrighteous. And what he is saying is that God's righteousness is so powerful, so redemptive, so loving that it is capable of handling all our unrighteousness. Everything that we consider about ourselves as dirty and unrighteous and sinful, Jesus' righteousness is enough. Again, I think we have this relationship with sin. We have this image of ourselves that our sin is too much. That when we think about the darkest parts of ourself, we think God could never accept me here. And what John is saying is that God's righteousness is so beyond our unrighteousness that there's no competition, that there's nothing he cannot purify us from. It's like, have you ever been on a long camping trip or, or in a season where you've, you've just not been able to shower for a very long time? I, I went on a, a trip this summer. I've shared a little bit about it, but I was on a, a seven-day camping trip where we were riding horses, we were fishing in rivers, and there was no shower for seven days. This is the dirtiest I've ever been in my entire life. It was disgusting. I smelled so bad, so glad I didn't see my wife that whole time. But when we got back to the hotel and took a shower, it was the best shower. When you were so dirty and so filthy and there's dirt everywhere and you finally get to shower, it's just the best feeling in the world watching, washing that dirt away. What is really gross is, have you ever been, and I can't believe I'm sharing this, oh my gosh, I shouldn't go here, but have you ever been so dirty that you needed more than one washcloth to like wash away the dirt? You know what I'm talking about? Like there wasn't enough righteousness in that cloth to handle your unrighteousness. Jesus is saying, John is saying about Jesus that there, that's not true of God. There's nothing he can't handle, nothing that he can't watch us clean of. And I think that it's so important for us to realize because some of us are living today, today in this room under the burden and the weight of sin. That when we think of exposing ourselves to the light of Jesus, we think there's no way God could forgive me for this. There's no way God could ever wash me clean of what I've done. And so we, we stay in the darkness And it's as if John knows that that's kind of our propensity. Because if some of us live in this place where we have a problem confessing sin and have a problem being honest about the problem we have of sin, there are many more of us who have a problem recognizing that God can forgive our sins. And it's as if John knows that about us, because what he goes on to say is that, that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, and he will purify us, he will forgive us, But then he goes on to say this in verse 11. I'm sorry, in in chapter two, verse one. He says, my dear children, 
Notice the gentleness with which he starts this sentence. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. That's that word again. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. See, some of us live with this idea that God cannot forgive us because of the sin that we live with, that God cannot purify us from the dirt and the grime and the toxins that are present in us because of sin, because of the things that we have done, because of the things that have been done to us. God could never save us, that God could never forgive us, that God could never purify us. And John's answer to that is not only is God faithful and just to purify us, but that we have an advocate before the Father, that as we have these feelings of unworth, and as we have these feelings that say, God could not save us, Jesus is advocating in our defense and on our behalf. That we don't have to defend ourselves before the throne of God. Jesus, the righteous one, is defending us before God's throne. I think we don't quite comprehend what this idea is. This idea of advocacy is, is one of alignment and solidarity. So really the picture John is painting is imagine you're walking into a courtroom and you're coming before a judge and you have to present your case. What he's saying is that Jesus gets down off the judgment seat, walks over to our side, links arms with us and presents a defense for us. That's Jesus' role as advocate. And when you understand the, the, the term, it goes even deeper because the language John is using is, is saying that even in our sin, not once we have conquered sin does Jesus advocate for us, in the midst of our struggle with sin, Jesus advocates on our behalf. Let me ask you in, in a more pointed way. The, the darkest part of yourself that as we've been talking through this idea of sin, the part that you know no one else knows about, that you want no one else to know about, what is Jesus' attitude towards that part of yourself? What is Jesus' attitude towards your temper that you lose again and again and again? What is Jesus' attitude towards your overdependence on alcohol? What is Jesus' attitude towards the, the sketchy finances? What is Jesus' attitude towards the way you judge others? See, what John is saying is that in his advocacy, in that darkest place, Jesus is making a defense on your behalf. The places in your life that you want no one to know about that if anyone ever found out about, you know you would be canceled immediately. Jesus defends you. Who does that? Who does that? Who in our world defends the person who is betraying them? Who defends the person, who advocates for the person who has betrayed trust and has turned their back and is in active rebellion? See, we live with this fear that Jesus could never accept our sins. He says he knows our sin. There's nothing that we've actually hidden from him, and he is actually advocating on our behalf. John is saying, why wouldn't you go to such a person? Why wouldn't you expose yourself to the light? Bring it out of darkness because Jesus advocates. You don't have to justify. You don't have to explain away. Jesus is making a defense for you. 
because he is the atoning sacrifice. See, not only is Jesus our advocate, he is also our atoning sacrifice. And this idea of atoning sacrifice, it's one that's much deeper than just offering forgiveness of sins, although that's included. It's this idea of cleansing and purifying us of sins. But again, sin is not just things we've done wrong. It is a power that we are under. And so when we claim that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice that takes away the power of sin and death in the world, John literally says that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for the sin of the world. If you think of human history and all of the sin that has ever existed, Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient to conquer that sin. The idea that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice is such that that it is the proclamation that for the first time in human history, sin and death met someone that they could not defeat. That Jesus defeated sin, all sin. And so this atoning sacrifice is the proclamation, not just that our little misdeeds and the things that we do wrong have been dealt with. It is the power and liberation for us from the sin that we live under. That we no longer have to live under the power of sin. That we can have victory over sin. And it's not legalism. So many times when we start talking about obeying God's commands, and that's where John takes this. He says that that if we want to be in fellowship with God, if we want to be in relationship with God, we have to confess our sins and bring our sins to light. We also have to obey his commands. We automatically hit the brakes and say, nope, that feels a little bit like legalism. I don't want to have to do the right thing in order to be in relationship with God. No. But when we have experienced the loving redemption that Christ offers us, that forgiveness, that purification, It results in us desiring zealously to be obedient to his will. To desire the things of God. See, I I think some of us, we live with this weight of sin because we know what the right thing is. We know that we're living in sin and we know that Jesus has called us to something else. But we're stuck, we're bogged down, we're weighed down and we think it makes us wonder and question whether or not that sin means that we are actually saved. I think many of us in the church or outside of the church, we walk around thinking, could God actually save me? And John's saying, you want to deal with that anxiety? You want to deal with that fear? You want to deal with that questioning? Obey him. It solves it instantly because you don't have to live with the fear of knowing you're doing the thing that's against God's will. In three different times, in three different ways, he says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. If we want to walk in relationship with God, if we want fellowship with God, walking in the light means obeying the commands of Jesus and living as he did. You see, when I think of this idea of of coming into the light, of exposing ourselves to the light, of, of being honest with our sin and obeying Jesus' commands, 
All throughout this, John is, is lacing this conversation, this circular argument to say that, that yes, we obey his commands and, and we know that we won't. He says, I, I write this so that you won't sin. But if any of you do sin, God is faithful and just and will forgive and advocate on our behalf. See, we have this relationship with sin, this, this fear of exposing ourselves to others and to God. And yet what John is saying is that in the exposing, in the bringing things to light, that is actually where we find the healing and restoration that we long for. Verse 